What is up, everyone? Welcome. We got another episode of Thirsty MF and Thursday, baby. And who do we have this week? Hey, yo, Ben Zalon Guardian. How are you, good sir? Coming at us live from up there in Missouri. What are you doing? I'm here. I'm here with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, I'm just, along, a, huh? I'm just always Go entertained ahead. by your, by your, uh, your introductions. It, it never gets old. It's just like it reminds me of the old days when you did your help desk. And well, I, I know, and I, I miss the, doing it because now call. we've got it set up for. Uh, oh my God, the roll call. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told the story about where the roll call came from, but you know, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, shout out to all my 901 brothers and sisters out there. Um, and we had a a, a radio uh, uh, disc jockey on K97, and he was Stan the Bell, the Bell Ringer Bell. And uh, Stan Bell was the most amazing DJ. I mean, like you talk about falling in love with radio. This guy made you fall in love with radio. And he did this segment of the show that was called The Roll Call, where he would allow people from within the city to call in and and rap on the radio. They would get a bar that they would do. And so he'd set them up, you know, be like, oh, and that sounds cool. And that may be where you coming from. Lay it down, homie. And then they just fly right into their rap, right? And it was it was the best radio bit, one of the best I've ever heard. And then uh, that segment was called The Roll Call. And, uh, and that's where I got that. Ray, how the hell are you, sir? Tell us about what you did today. You told me about it in the show before the show, but I, I think everybody needs to know how you spent your time. Okay. This morning was uh, basically a two-acre spree job. Huh? I was uh, applying uh, to control some weeds on some grazed area. So uh, I basically got to use a tank mix that is not allowed for use on lawns I don't care how bad your clover or your buttonweed is. It's not, not permitted on lawns. <laughs> <laughs> and a week from now, anything that is not some kind of grass is going to be curling up and falling down. That sounds like a party in the lawn. But it wasn't a lawn, though, was it? This was not a lawn. No. No, this was not a lawn at all. What was it? Just a bare field? Oh, it's just, uh, you know, what I call pasture land. Let me ask, what do they plan on doing with the pasture land? Is it just going to stay as, as, you know, bare ground? Or are they going to build on actually, it? There, actually, there's livestock on it. Oh, there's actually, okay. There's actually okay, livestock okay. on it. And my only regret is, uh, you know, waking up about, Two or three bulls and uh, and a couple of calves that were napping under the tree. I mean, I felt so bad for it. It's like, oh, I'm going to be that guy, you know. And, I, and of course, uh, I'm thinking, I hope the bulls don't get upset. <laughs> yeah. I, it, all right. So 
I just talked about being from Memphis, right? My mom's side of the family and, you know, really where I, I spent the early part of my life was in North Mississippi, right? So I'm no stranger to livestock. And uh, occasionally from time to time, we would mess with the cows next door. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen a cow run at full speed. They are surprisingly fast. Cows move a lot quicker at full speed than you would suspect. They could easily run me down and trample me to death uh, by just how fast they were. They were faster than me as a kid. So uh, don't mess with the cows. I will will warn people out there. You guys ever go and stay on? No. Ben asked what I wanted to ask. (laughs) No, no. And, And you know what? Big rule is always stay on the cow's good side because you know that little sign that you sometimes see that says this bull can make it to the fence in five seconds? Can you? (laughs) There's a lot, there's a lot of truth to it. And, uh, because, you know, I too, I grew up with livestock as well. So, you know, I know, I know certain things. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of like why I asked the, the question, you know, you know, to the landowner, are the bulls going to get upset with me? Because these animals otherwise don't know me, you know. <clears throat> so, because if they knew me, it would be a different yet again, you know, different thing yet again. But then, because they don't know me, I said, I asked them, are they going to get upset with me? Because they're going to hear machinery. They're going to see a strange guy, you know, walking up and down the pasture. Uh, and he said, mm, probably not. I said, okay, but I tell you what, uh, if they do take offense, I will slowly retreat. <laughs> I, I would do the same. All right, Ben, talk to us. Talk to us about your lawn journey and uh, and kind of, so we'll start with, you were in a previous house. You said, screw it, we're moving because you hated the lawn so much. I'm just kidding. Uh, as a total joke. I completely made that up. Take us from your old property, where you were, and then what it was like moving into your new property. Paint that picture for us. Okay. Uh, yeah, we were, we, the previous house was about, uh, probably 5,000 square feet. Uh, the, really the only part of the lawn that I could do anything with the front, the back was, uh, for anybody that watches any of my videos, uh, if you're that bored, I had a really steep backyard as a 23 degree slope. Um, so it wasn't very fun to take care of. Um, but we had a growing, we have a growing family. And we moved into the house we're currently living in uh, at the end of 2019, like a day before Christmas Eve, actually. Um, and it was the the previous homeowners I thought did, from what I could tell, did a, a fairly decent job of taking care of the yard. Um, and that's all I really knew going into the spring of 2020. Um, it seemed to come out of dormancy really slow, um, so I was thinking that more than likely it didn't get like any sort of nitrogen uh, and during the fall. Um, so maybe that was why it, it took a little while that just my ignorance and not knowing any better. Um, but it was, uh, I also just noticed a lot of like 
it was really a, a ton of dead material when it was coming out of a dormancy there was uh, just a ton of dead material and i was like i wonder if that's going to cause any issues um excuse me with like fungus or whatever um and then it came out of dormancy things were going well it looked okay it always had like a, a very uh, it was, I guess, kind of a lime green. It wasn't like super lime, but every time I f- would fertilize, it wasn't getting the green I know grass can get. And I experienced when t- any time I would fertilize the lawn. Didn't really think much of about it, so I uh, just kept doing my thing, um, not thinking too much about it. Tried to put iron on it. Um, I, d- I did some fuller applications of iron. I could tell, like that was actually, you know, darkening the grass. Um, but it was still like, I was like, why is it, I, I don't, I wasn't thinking I had to do that because it's not something I had to do at the old lawn to get it to look dark. And uh, then once we got into the summer year and like, you know, transitioning from spring to summer, we get pretty hot and humid here in St. Louis uh, all summer long. And then I started to notice, uh, it was at the, it was during June, I believe. Uh, I can't remember exactly. And I think it was June, June, July time. Uh, I started to notice uh, mornings when I'd go out and walk my dog, these uh, spots that were, you know, I could tell it was fungus. It was like the grass blades had these, like, uh, it almost looked like it had hair, like white hair growing off the grass. And it was just in, in little spots. So I assumed it was probably... Uh, I don't know if I knew at the time. I just knew it was fungus. Uh, and I was, um, I'm Can not good at identifying. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. just one second. If people look at this here, if you look where you see the mycelium growing on the grass, you can also see dead grass forming in there, right? If you mm-hmm. have white mycelium growing in the lawn and the grass is not dead in that patch, it is not disease. That's not actually mycelium. That is a funnel weevil, weaver spider. If you're seeing mycelium, you're seeing dead grass. Therefore, that means it is a disease. If you see what looks like mycelium and there is no dead grass in it, it is a funnel weevil, weaver, funnel weaver spider. It is not disease. It's not dollar spot. Don't panic. All right, go ahead, Ben. No, that's a good point because I noticed I see that stuff. I saw that actually this year. And I saw it last year and I was like, oh, that's because if you actually go up and touch the the spot that people would think is uh, mycelium, you can then start to see the spider crawl away. So when I would do that and I'd see that, I was like, oh, that's nothing. That's just a uh, spider or whatever. And I never knew the name of the spider until now. But yeah, so I noticed these spots um, and I don't I'm not good at identifying fungus still. I'm not good. But uh I think I was just starting to do a lot of research and try to read stuff and figure out what it could have been. I was like, I think it's dollar spot. And I think I'd already put down, um, I think I did a preventative application of Scott's disease X and that was it. I, which I think that it, that doesn't have propiconazole and it just has, uh, zoxystrobin in it. Um, which actually, and fun fact there, uh, can actually increase the uh, significance of dollar spot. And I, I don't think that's talked about enough, but there is enough data out there to say that the majority of the time it is statistically significant that applying azoxystrobin to an existing outbreak of dollar spot 
will actually increase the severity of the dollar spot. And, and that's just kind of a fun fact that if, if anybody runs into it out there, and this is why it's important to put forth a, a fair amount of effort into disease identification, because this could be one of those things, right? You see dollar spot, or you mis mistake it for Pythium because how many, I saw somebody commented Pythium in the, in the chat right here. And that's not, that was actually dollar spot. Uh, dollar spot has an hourglass lesion on the grass blade. And that's typically how you're able to, uh, to identify that. And, but, you know, people think of uh, azoxystrobin as a catch-all, a cure-all, right? You get a little pythium, you put a little azoxystrobin on it. You get a little dollar spot, you put a little azoxystrobin on it. Don't do that. It will increase the severity of dollar spot. So kind of a fun fact there. Go ahead. So I should actually back up a little bit because I did do a soil test at the beginning of, uh, in the spring, right at the beginning of spring or end of winter. Uh, and that is when I noticed I had a really high pH. I didn't really know my, I just saw things were on the lower end. I saw I had a, a high pH. That's about it. That's from my understanding. That's all I knew at that point in time. Um, so I just, I just continued doing what I knew to do as far as fertilizing and stuff like that. Didn't try to do anything else. Um, and then I started to have the, now back to where I was, I started to notice that disease, um, and I don't know when I applied the disease X, if I, if I already had it at that point, I would, I don't know. I don't recall seeing it at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah. So then it, it was just, it was really funny because, or not funny. It was terrifying actually. Cause I didn't know what it, I didn't know what to do. And I was talking to you and several other people in the YouTube community. And cause my lawn in the, in the morning, it literally looked like it had a white frost all over it because it was so bad. The, uh, the front yard was, was one of the front and backyard was the worst. Um, that picture of the yard that you just saw, that's actually my side yard. That was, uh, yeah. On the left side of the, that, that was, uh, it wasn't, gr it wasn't, uh, I shouldn't say it was good, but it wasn't as bad as the front and back. Um, so yeah, I just started reaching out to people saying, Hey, I don't, I don't know what to do. And then, uh, yeah, that was 4th of July of last year. Uh, 4th of July of this year looked starkly different. But uh, um, that's when I got in touch with you. So that picture is 4th of July of this year. So a lot different. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Have, when you actually yeah. have a good a good disease uh, prevention program. But just like you and I have talked about, Matt, I think it wasn't just the obviously having a good disease or a fungicide program. It was also just the uh ph stuff that i had helped or, or started working on that i think also kind of contributed to that or at least helping it push to this year at least that's what i remember you and i talking about um yeah so let, let me kind of pause you right there let's take a look at this og soil test you had ray in <laughs> in you know ray so when when he first showed me this and i looked at it and i saw the ph 8.3 and i saw the severity of the dollar spot I don't know this to be fact, um, but I attributed to the the severity of the dollar spot partly in part to uh, high pH soil because of um, inhibition of uh, uh, or, or a lack of efficiency of nitrogen. Um, is there any validity to that? Am I making things up? Do Do you think high no. pH? No. No, you're not making you, things up. And okay, let me. Let me kind of run this one past you all. 
the reason why I'm always harping on getting a soil pH down to at least seven is because I'm seeing something here that is kind of alarming me in that your iron and your manganese levels are super high, yet I know for a fact that they're not available. And the only reason why they're available in the soil test is because you react that soil with a combination of hydrofluoric and nitric acid. All that iron and manganese becomes available for to be analyzed for. But, you know, what's ringing the alarm bell is that 8.3 pH and that 455 parts per million of magnesium and the 4,000 plus calcium level. And then, of course, remember what I always say about how potassium and magnesium compete with each other. And so if you have extraordinarily high magnesium, it will block uptake of the potassium and vice versa. So this just is rather deranged soil here. And I think we talked about how this soil needed to be on a pH management program for many reasons, not just for color of the grass, but for <clears throat> mitigation of disease pressure. Yeah, so that was kind of my thought process was that, you know, here, here, and this is this is kind of what I know about Dollar Spot, at least in my area, and I know climactically you're not too different than what I am, Ben. We're both in the transition zone, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, and so to see Dollar Spot that severe on July 4th, I was like, that is weird because you've got peak mineralization going on. I, you know, you get a little bit of rain, and and it's it's normally it's brown patch that smokes out the whole thing, not Dollar Spot, and you know, no, nitrogen doesn't necessarily single-handedly fix dollar spot, but I was thinking out of it from the standpoint that it might be a nitrogen management issue that was contributing to it. And when you've got a pH this high, that's going to interfere with, with nitrogen. So specifically, Ray, correct me if I'm wrong, but high pH soil will increase the volatility of nitrogen. Is that right? Of urea? That is correct, because what will happen is that when you have a pH, soil pH over, say, 7, what will happen is, say you apply urea as a, as a lawn fertilizer, what happens is that that soil is then going to react with that urea, break it down to ammonia gas and carbon dioxide gas, and you just lost whatever nitrogen you threw down. And I've seen this happen for myself where somebody is diligently applying nitrogen to their lawn. And because their pH is over seven, their grass does not respond to the nitrogen in a normal way. I'm talking about it might get temporarily green and as in like green for about a week from the nitrogen liberated. But, but they tell me. Two to three weeks later, that lawn is looking worse for wear because all of the nitrogen has evaporated, gone into thin air. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it's, you know, growing with Greg here who actually, and he turned me on to a great video that was, uh, looking at, um, uh, uh, Dr. Shaddock's, uh, kind of approach on MLSN who was also looking at the Doug Soldat's, uh, uh, research on, on phosphorus and, and growing turf and low phosphorus. What's particularly interesting here is that not only are you low phosphorus in your, uh, uh, you know, beyond critically deficient in phosphorus by all stretches or means of imagination. Um, but typically phosphorus has a bit greater availability of the plant in high pH. Is that correct, Ray? Am I, am I dreaming yes, on so the, what, uh, your, oh, well, it, it's a gradient because your optimum phosphorus availability is you know, at or between 6.5 to 7. And then once you get above 8, then phosphorus becomes available again. But here's your problem. You don't have availability and efficiency of all of your other nutrients with that excessive pH. So this... High pH is hardly a blessing. It is not a blessing at all. It's kind of a bad time, you know, if you will. Yeah, so, you know, kind of my, my thought there was that that may in, inhibit at least some of the severe phosphorus deficiency symptoms from, from appearing. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of a theory I'm throwing out there, right? Um, so we're critically deficient in phosphorus, potassium. I'm okay with a hundred parts per million of potassium, especially if, you know, clippings are being recycled. I'm not panicking there, but then we move on to calcium and magnesium. And I do not like to see magnesium over say 250 parts per million. And the only reason why is it's an incredibly small molecule. And excessive levels of magnesium typically correlate with tighter soil. I'm not going to say it's 100% across the board, even though it could be. Uh, in my experience dealing with high magnesium, I'm dealing with a tighter soil. It's a bit more of a pain in the ass to deal with, right? So... This is where, and, and, and normally if you're dealing with high magnesium and high calcium, you're also dealing with high pH, right? So in terms of a, a pH correction program, one of the side effects of that is not just lowering soil pH, but also dropping our calcium and magnesium levels through leaching. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. What you're doing is if you have the right kind of pH management strategy, you're actually solubilizing the calcium and magnesium excess in the soil and turning it into a form that water can then flush out of the soil. Because I literally use this term called acid flushing. And the reason why I call it acid flushing is because I'm actually using an acid to solubilize the calcium and the magnesium and get it out of the soil. I'm removing it. 
So, Ben, talk to us about your pH correction plan. Well, I mean, uh, you could talk about it because you gave it to me. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so after we talked, um, uh, I think that was, I think it had to be at the end of June, beginning of July uh, that we talked. And um, that's when I started my, uh, my fun. I, I put a fungicide a application on at a curative rate, obviously, uh, using propiconazole. Um, and that's, and luckily I live where I live now is a little bit more rural. It's, uh, you know, I don't have to go too far. I'm, I'm kind of on the outskirts of the St. Louis area now. So I don't live, I don't live far from ag stores where I can actually go get 50 pound bags of elemental sulfur. So I went and, uh, got that because I'd already made a, an elemental sulfur app back in May, uh, last year. And then I made more, I started more consistent applications uh, starting in July. So we we did an application of elemental sulfur in, let's see, it was July, August, and September, uh, both of, or all three of those, or actually all four. So I did four applications of five pounds per thousand last year of elemental sulfur, one in May. I didn't do June because I hadn't talked to you at that point about all this and uh then i started i did a um, more regular app starting in july every 30 days and that july is also when i started uh citric acid applications at one pound per thousand again every month roughly every 30 days and uh yeah i was making those i mean it was it was like clockwork for me i was being very diligent about trying to stay as close to that time frame as possible and i still try to do that again this year uh as well but uh, as far as last year that's kind of where my ph strategy um that's where it started uh was correction strategy really was heavy i got serious about it in july because may at, at may last year I, I didn't know anybody i was like oh elemental sulfur i think that's supposed to help uh start lowering helping the soil ph so i did an application at that point and i was planning on doing one in fall but then when i was seeing all of this stuff happening in my lawn and i was talking to you um you suggested getting on a, a bit more of an aggressive pattern with uh <clears throat> my uh, ph strategy so that's kind of what it, what i did last year i did so i did uh citric acid july august september and october so four months in a row, all at one pound per thousand. Uh, so, uh, Ray, I actually, when uh, Matt was talking, Matt gave this plan to me and I was researching and trying to figure out where the heck to buy citric acid. Um, mm -hmm. Matt showed me where to buy it. And I was also, I didn't know how to apply it. And I think I, I, I went on the discord and I was asking about it and somebody said, ask Ray. And I think you jumped in and cause I, I think Matt had initially said, you two pounds per thousand of citric acid and you said no i would just stick with one pound per thousand <laughs> and uh, uh and some be and i was asking well how do i apply it because i don't have uh at that point in time i only had a two gallon backpack spray i didn't have anything bigger so i was having to refill a lot uh and i had zoned off my lawn for that uh ability but it was challenging because I, I couldn't, I, I tried, I think one application I tried to use a hose end sprayer, I dissolved it in a bucket and then I was just refilling the tank 
the little hose end tank. Uh, that was just a pain in the butt. So what I preferred, what I ended up actually doing was um, putting in, I would start, I would spray early, early morning before the sun was ever, uh, right when the sun was actually coming up, when the lawn still had some dew, and when I would actually water the lawn just to get the grass uh, damp as well, spray the lawn and immediately water that section to get it down into the soil because I knew, I think you had told me and several other people in the Discord told me that uh, if your lawn, you definitely don't want it sitting on the grass blade when the, the sun is up and it's the heat of the day because that can just fry, end up frying it. So, um, but I remember, Ray, I remember that was my first interaction with you on the Discord was, uh, or ever actually, was <laughs> on the Discord and you had made rec- made the recommendation of uh, going one pound. I think you just, I think I'd asked you if that uh, way of ap- applying it with the backpack sprayer um and just immediately watering it was okay and you had said yeah that's better than nothing so yeah that's pretty that's per- that if you, if that's what you got uh you do it because uh to be honest with you professionally when i'm in a hurry i just spray at a gallon per thousand square foot right ahead of an, a running irrigation system you know rather than you know, pound it out at, you know, like say five to 10 gallons per thousand square foot. Because if I'm in a little bit of a hurry, I'll, I'll, I'll apply something at a a gallon per thousand, but that is with the idea that the irrigation is switching on zone by zone right behind me. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of painful to do because it would take a a minute. That's why I had to wake up pretty early because I would, I would, uh, I would run it. I would, so I'd spray the, I would run the, the section of the lawn, uh, irrigation, like five minutes. Then I'd, I'd make my application. Uh, and then I would immediately kick on the irrigation for like 10 minutes. And I, I would, that wasn't like the full watering. I would actually, once I was done doing that basically pattern throughout the entire lawn, I would just water the entire lawn and get a good 20 or, or like quarter to half an inch of water down in the lawn to get it, make sure it's getting water down into the soil. Um, but that's yeah. what I did. That's what I did after the application, just to make sure it was getting off the leaf blade. And then later on, I can come back and water it a little bit heavier to make sure it's getting a little bit, you know, into the soil. So, Ray, I'm sure. going to get a little yeah. controversial with you here, real quick. Um, sure. Say in the absence of, and I know we've talked about this offline, but I'll kind of tee you up for online here. In the absence of citric acid, you're having trouble acquiring it, but you're able to acquire, say, phosphoric acid or acetic acid. Um, can, can you substitute one for the other? Should you substitute one for the other? And if you do, um, how do you, do, what do you change? Are you still watering immediately afterwards? Is there a risk of burn? Is there a greater risk of burn? What are we looking like if we can't get citric acid and we need to be this aggressive towards pH management? Okay. You, uh, you know, same rules apply, but if you're dealing with phosphoric acid, just know that that is by far the best method I know of for elevating P levels, I mean, they do it in egg and horticulture all the time where, Matt, guess what they do in, say, a greenhouse or a field crop where you have the dual program problem of high pH and low phosphorus. Guess what they're doing? 
injecting uh, phosphoric acid into the irrigation system. Mm-hmm. They're they're shooting it into the sprinkler lines, but they're doing that knowing how much phosphorus they're applying. They also know when to stop because can you imagine dealing with soil that has like oh let's throw a number out there three to four hundred parts per million of phosphorus no that's a that would be a problem you know and in yeah. e- even more so you know how many people out there can you trust on <laughs> you, you know what i mean like when you're when you're talking about uh, managing your soil P levels with a fertilizer injection system, you know, that's a whole different skill set that's required there. Like there's turf management, there's soil management, and then there's fertigation with phosphoric acid management, right? Like it's a, it's a whole <laughs> subcategory in and of itself. And so, you know, it requires someone like a commercial grower with extensive experience to even take that on. Uh, so I'm, you know, I throw that out there as just kind of a T-ball. All right. So we know phosphoric acid, high pH, low P levels. What about acetic acid? Can we use just straight white vinegar? Should we go for glacial acetic acid? How are we going about this? Okay. Okay. Here's something to know about acetic acid in concentrations over 5%. Acetic acid in concentrations over 5% becomes every bit as aggressive and noxious as, say, sulfuric or hydrochloric or even phosphoric acid. You know, you think, oh, it's, it's vinegar, no big deal, but say you have 10% acetic acid, that gets in your eyes and may blind you. Uh, See, you actually can get your hands on glacial acetic. Uh, That will start to dissolve fabric, uh, eat through skin, you know, typical things that concentrated acids do. Uh, So what I'm trying to say is that acetic acid becomes less than benign once you're no longer talking about common white vinegar. Although it actually would be a very good agent for solubilizing and leaching out both calcium and magnesium, it's just that I consider it a rather hazardous material when it's concentrated. Yeah, and, and and that's why I think the importance of primarily using citric acid stands is that it is, in terms of safety and functionality, they're both on the higher end of the scale. Right, right. They're, it's safe to use, and it is comparatively effective because uh, I I could never tell somebody, for example, go out and apply 95% sulfuric acid at the rate of a gallon per thousand square foot. I would never tell somebody to do that because sulfuric acid, even at a 5% concentration, 
starts to dissolve fabric and make you and, and it can make you go blind if it goes in your eyes so <laughs> i remember using that when i had to t- help my parents take care of their pool i don't know is that the same stuff they use in the pool no it's it's concentrated hydrochloric acid 30, oh, okay. 31% 31% hcl and that is something that I have experience with too because it is commonly used for cleaning off corrosion from metal. And talk about some nasty, reactive, and hazardous stuff. And by the way, acetic acid also fumes rather strongly. You think vinegar is terrible to, you know, be near? Uh, I know what glacial acetic acid is like. That's many orders worse. <laughs> yeah, glacial, I, I, I handle glacial acetic acid often, and uh, there's nothing nice about it. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it smells incredibly strong. Uh, it's incredibly reactive, and... Until until you watch you know a thousand gallons of it vibrate and make it feel like the earth is is earthquaking, then you know you just it brings about a whole new respect. So be careful dropping your KOH into glacial acetic acid, everybody. I'm just warning you. Be careful. <laughs> um, all right. So I think uh, J Ping, let's go back to the soil test one more time. Make sure we're not leaving anything out. I'm not going to talk about the micronutrients because there's nothing really important to talk about there. Um, yeah, you may be a little low in boron, but that's there's never been an observed boron deficiency in turf that I'm aware of. Uh, you're a little bit low in zinc, but all of that is relatively correctable that if you just spray even a the slightest of rates out of a... Uh, um, uh, a, a, you know, any micronutrient package out there and it's got... It, it, no, wor- no reason to worry about copper either. If you got a little iron, manganese, and zinc, then, oh boy, everything turns super green and you're happy. And chances are it's adequate for whatever you need out of your soil. And at 92 and 83 parts per million of iron and manganese, like you're good. You don't have to worry about that. Just get your pH right. And then all of a sudden you get to take advantage of it. Right. Anyway, so I digress. Well, no, we that's, from, in, that's huh? important to put that. That's uh, the, when you're talking about the iron, as I was asking you about that last year, when I started to notice the uh, corrections of the soil pH after making those apple, just a few of those applications of the citric acid, I was noticing and my lawn was recovering from the fungus and whatnot. I was noticing the lawn had just such a true green. And I was telling you, Matt, last year, I was like, I haven't applied a drop of iron to the lawn and it looks fantastic. And you were telling me more and more about, you know, what just the iron becoming available for the plant to uptake so that's uh what you just said just talks about what i was noticing in the lawn last year so i think that's actually a uh an an important thing to talk about when you started making your uh um your citric acid applications and your elemental sulfur applications you're saying that after how many applications did it take before you you could see a visible difference in what you were doing. Well, it was uh, it was kind of a combination of having to wait for the disease to stop 
as well. Uh, and just kind of noticing the disease, the damage from the disease starting to grow out because I, uh, JP, I think I sent some pictures, um, like about a month or so after my fungicide application, it wasn't until like late to mid August. Uh, so I don't remember what the date, the the date stamp was on that one, but that was probably, I think, uh, maybe this one says July 30th. Yeah, so that was like so my, my the first fungicide application I did was like after you and I talked Matt wasn't until July 23rd. So this is 7 uh 7 days after the fungicide applications just and that itself was a huge improvement uh from what it was just 7 days prior to that <laughs> um which was Whoa. astonishing. Uh so Let's see. That was the tw- the thirtieth. I did a uh, citric acid application on the twenty fifth. So it probably wasn't until like the middle, or probably sometime in August, until that damage was going away and the grass was actually starting to grow and fill back in. That I didn't notice. That I was starting to notice that like true green color. It's probably middle, probably a month or so after the first uh, uh, application of. Uh, uh, citric acid i think if i remember correctly jp i might have sent one that was uh at the end of august as well but i'm not sure but because that was a more a better i think uh picture that kind of shows the color i was noticing and this was before you know doing any sort of fall renovation yep there you go this one so is that was august 21st shite. yeah that was august 21st Wait. so that that was uh that was a month month after uh really a month after the citric acid application and my fungicide application all right i only had i only i only had to do one corrective application fungicide application i never did any follow-up applications after that it was just good to go so so that's i mean you can see there that that's a pretty true color to tall fescue i feel like um and especially moving into the end of august right you're still dealing with some heat so you know you're you're really beginning to shine there i would say a tad bit earlier than is was necessarily normal at least in my area i'd say it's not until uh the first or second week of september you know like right now is when fescue's starting to hammer back out towards its peak so um i mean that's a that's a pretty significant turnaround demay is here coming in from the (laughs) new ground zero how the hell are you sir well if i don't put the lotion on i might get the hose again so No, uh, this is, uh, yeah, I've, I've lived here for about, uh, four hours now. So this was important. I wanted to be here for Ben. I'm sorry. I'm late. Um, that looks like, that looks like an old, a pretty old basement. You look great. This is a nine, uh, 92 year old home. So yeah, it's okay. It's old. It's just cool. Yeah. I can tell just yeah. yeah. Stone and water walls and, uh, yeah. No, you know, no all you need is no all you need is the drywall, the drywall and the uh and the little pit off to the side. <laughs> yeah, well no, what I really need is that silk nightie that only goes down just to like halfway on my butt cheeks and then I need to tuck it and I need to dance in front of the mirror, you know. 
to really reenact the mm. movie, right? Yeah. And, and don't forget a couple of moths flying around. Yeah. Yeah. That guy was serious. What was he had it? problems. Uh, he had issues. Yeah. Lep- Lepidoptera, right? That's the, uh, what's the, uh, family from moths, right? I just, I don't know. I yes, remember that yeah. from entomology 20 years ago and it just came roaring back. Yeah. Right. Thank you for, thank you for triggering that. I mean, you guys, it was, you know what it was? It was all that talk here as I was listening on YouTube of acid, right? And then I had a flashback mm-hmm. entomology, and now here we are, a full circle, right back into Ben's lawn. I, Watch out know, for them ten so- strips of jail tabs, Ryan. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Watch out for the ten strips of jail tabs. It looks yeah. like one, but it's actually ten. Don't eat the whole thing. <laughs> You'll flash back for a quarter of a decade. <laughs> believe it i believe it you know just like never mind never mind that's that's going too deep i'm just saying you picture yourself back in a true green truck you know sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just like man i gotta hit that thousand dollars today oh oh hey. <laughs> you catch yourself walking barefoot on a golf green at three o'clock in the morning uh infatuated with the street lights around you and then you realize it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you're trying to hit your thousand dollars at true green yeah that's a it's a bad day. Been there, done Been that, there, right? So done that. Been there, done that. So I no, that I was really shocked there at that picture. That's that's amazing. And I think also too, you know, I'm not going to say any one product or any one practice, right? But um, that's just good agronomy, folks. I mean, the weather I'm sure helped a little bit, right? Like, yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, we were yeah. we were definitely getting a lot more rain at that point in time last year than we were this year we were we've been pretty dry here so far so we were getting definitely getting a lot more rain than <clears throat> no that's so uh, you can tell go ahead let's take it from there and let's transition to 2021 uh this is supposed to be the recovery of covid but turned into uh shite part two right Fubar. Here we are, Fubar, <laughs> the year of Fubar and uh, and and lot lizards. Um, here we are. So we have moved from an eight point three to a seven point eight in a portion of a growing season. Our phosphorus levels have come up. How and and our K levels have come up as well. How? Did you bring up your soil P and soil K levels? Um, so at the end of last year in the fall, I was alternating um, with uh, ammonium. So one after we talked in the middle of the summer, Matt, I was using AMS for all my fertilizer applications. And then when we were uh, <clears throat> getting into fall, I started to alternate that with like a local big box store 12 12 12 it was just a triple 12 or triple 12 or triple 13 that's irrelevant uh at that point but um i was just doing that so i'm assuming that's where the majority of my phosphorus and uh k came from <clears throat> so that's that's what i was doing there as far as that uh i don't think i did put any sop down last year but i have been using that this year no i did not use any and we can uh, and we can talk about why you're using that this year. Um, 
So, all right. So you you went through that. You've got a a a significant to move a pH half a point, especially at that high, is not easy. Um, and I think this is a testament to a combination of a three part practice of managing your soil pH, starting with ammonium sulfate as your primary nitrogen source, the most acidifying of easy to obtain nitrogen sources, applications of citric acid, and applications of elemental sulfur. That three-part process coming together is likely what was 100% necessary in order to move it by half a point. Because you got to think, that's actually a lot of acidifying material that's going down. The lawn saws ask, could it be a false result? Could be tend to see less of those out of uh, out of this particular company. Um, and gauging by the color response and uh, observing a truer green color, more than likely it's not. Because I would argue that tall fescue at a pH over eight is where you start to begin to suffer your biggest color losses. Getting it below an eight is where you're starting to recapture some of that. And you got to remember too, that as you make applications of these acidifying materials, you are solubilizing little bits of your iron and manganese and zinc. You're also solubilizing little bits of magnesium. Well, is too, and calcium. Well, actually, you know that color that I saw in the previous pi- picture? That I can attribute to your copper, iron, zinc, and manganese suddenly becoming available after being locked up for all this time. <clears throat> and there's very few products I know of that are readily available that are safe to apply, that can achieve those kind of results. Citric acid happens to be one of them. And I, I, think I see it, that. I see I that was, too, I was just going to say, where, Ray, we'll let you kind of chime in on this. When people talked about nutrients being locked up, 98% of the time, what are they actually saying? What they're saying, or they're trying to say, is... Their soil pH is so high that nutrients are being blocked by either excessive magnesium or calcium, or the micronutrients are forming carbonate complexes because of the high pH. And as a carbonate complex, uh, iron is not available. Iron carbonate is one of the most insoluble materials I can think of. Iron citrate is soluble, though. Iron citrate is soluble. That is a chelate. Yeah, zinc citrate is soluble. Uh, Manganese citrate is soluble. So what you're seeing in your grass is what happens when previously unavailable nutrients become available. Because, by the way, do you know what I'm thinking when I see iron and manganese as high as they are on a soil test? You know what I'm thinking when what, I see it that tall, what's that? that high? 
somebody has been throwing down stuff trying to get their grass greener. And I'm not talking about mm. you, Ben. I'm talking about the previous owners of the house were probably slinging something like ironite or ferrous sulfate or chelated you know, micronutrient mix in a spray bottle or something like that because their lawn looked like crap and they were trying to do what they knew to get that grass to be green. You know, I'll well, make this point I'll, here. It, 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 real quick, and I'll let you chime in, Ben, is that when you apply, when, when you, okay, when you are applying, you, this is the importance of applying the appropriate iron source. If you are soil applying iron as the appropriate source, say you're applying iron sucrate, iron humate, or iron oxide, those are not, those go immediately to the soil and it'll register on a soil test that those levels increase because the soil test will detect them in the soil, but they are not soluble compounds. Therefore, they are not making their way into the plant and you're not able to elicit the color response that you're looking for. Now through root exudates, it will keep the plant from becoming uh, critically deficient for the most part, but you're not going to elicit that color response you're looking for. And so people get sucked into applying more and applying more and applying more. And then you're buying a 10% iron product and applying it and applying it and applying it. And you're not getting the color response. And so then you find one with a little more nitrogen and you're doubling down on that to get it to go. And then you're eliciting the color response from the nitrogen, but you feel like maybe it's coming from the iron and it's easy to get confused because now you're throwing so many different things at it. And, but you're still only getting a one week color response, just like you would with iron. And so all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, it was the iron that was giving me that. It probably wasn't the nitrogen. It wasn't enough nitrogen. And you get, you get confused and stuck into a wheelhouse that you don't know how to, how to, how to get out on. So I'll make a point right here. If you are going to soil apply iron, you either need to have a low pH and are able to apply a sulfate. It either has to be a sulfate in a low pH soil, a ferrous ammonium sulfate in a lower pH soil, a ferrous citrate, and I would say up to seven, or an EDTA or an EDDHA iron if you're at safely a six or above, or seven and above. If it's not one of those forms, that iron is likely not going to become plant available. And therefore, whatever visual response you're getting from that product, you can guarantee it is not what's generating the visual response you're seeing. What were you going to say, Ben? I was just going to answer some of the questions. So the lawn sauce asked, how long after you applied for it did you pull your course? So um, my first sample that I pulled in 2020, that was pulled either somewhere at the end of February or beginning of March. Um, I don't know when the last time somebody fertilized in that lawn because I just moved in, uh, the, in at the end of December. This year, I did a very similar time frame. Um, the sample was pulled at the end of February, beginning of March. Um, the, I, I know I sent the sample in. Uh, and did the sample, collected the samples all around the same time as last year. Uh, but my last fertilizer application was uh, October 25th of uh, 2020, and that was just a quarter pound of nitrogen. 
Um, so, you know, that was or what, four months or so since um, my last fertilizer application. And then you ask, same goes for how long after your C application did you start? Did you do your soil test? So, um, <clears throat> again, my soil test was done at the, be, at the end of February, beginning of March. And the last application of citric acid was done on, let me look, uh, October 17th. So, again, about four months or so uh, or more. In and I think it's important to address too that a citric acid application is going to be quick in, quick out, uh, because at a pound per thousand square feet, that is not a lot of reactive material to last for half a year or a quarter of a year. You know, that's probably good for a month, and then that's going to be about it. So, what you're seeing in terms of that kind of movement is a combination of the entirety of the approach, not just a single product. So it's a combination of ammonium sulfate, of citric acid, of elemental sulfur, not just ammonium sulfate, just citric acid, or just sulfur. It is a programmatic approach, not a product approach. And to answer Colonel Corn, he was talking about the change in the organic matter in the um, I did a combination of both. I would mulch and bag. I wasn't solely doing one or the other. Obviously, when I had all the fungus, I was bagging. Um, and I probably bagged, uh, probably, I, I don't know if I documented that, but I was bagging a while just to be on the safe side going into fall uh, to make sure I was collecting as much uh, of the fungal spores as possible and the clippings and stuff like that. But then in the fall time, I was doing a combination of mulching and bagging. All right. So we went from there. This is how you were starting the season. Mm -hmm. Let's kick off what everything looked like after your first application of fertilizer, I guess. Do we have a picture of that? Do we have a spring picture of this year? I don't know if we do that. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know what the earliest picture I sent was for John for this year. Looks like May. That works. Yeah. Wangen. So, so that's May. I mean, I, I, right. I kind of, I kind of consider <laughs> like, I mean, just like I've heard uh, you guys and other turf professionals say, like that time frame is still like it's easy. I put that in quotations to make the lawn look green because I wasn't in the heat of the, you know, all the different kinds of pressure I could hit. Um, but it came out, it came out, came out jumping, uh, this year compared to what it was doing at the beginning of, uh, 2020. Um, the, I, I think I, I noticed a little decline in the color, um, around June because I don't think, uh, and I asked you, you, you may remember this, Matt, I asked you if this amount of fertilizer or nitrogen so far in the year is behind and you're like, yeah, you're a little behind. So I think I got a little lax in my fertilizer application. So I started to notice a decline, um, in some of the color and just how the lawn was looking. Um, cause I, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm pretty young to all this and I, I'm just, uh, my, the beginning of the year, I'm, I always try to, uh, I think I feather it too much and I, I, cause I, I don't want to put down too much nitrogen, but sometimes I think I don't put down enough. And I think I just saw a little bit of that this year. Plus we were just getting, uh, I think we were in, in a little bit of a drought as well. Uh, we weren't getting a ton of rain. 
but yeah, it's it was night and day different this year compared to last year, like no questions asked. Um so in in to to give everybody kind of an update on what he had done up to this point, and this is the end of May, is that correct, or middle of May? The date on this is May twenty second. May twenty second. So he had done point two one pounds of in, uh point four pounds of in. You had done point four pounds of in up to this point. Um let's see. I did, That's I did what a quarter I just pound. Up. I did a quarter pound at uh in March, then I did Oh, I don't have the March app. Okay. Yeah, that was uh maybe I didn't tell you that one on accident. That wasn't on purpose. But it was a quarter pound in March, and then I did two applications of quarter pound uh in April. And then my next application of fertilizer wasn't until May 31st. So at this point in time, you're only looking, it's only received uh, three quarters of a pound of nitrogen for the year. Okay. Um, so, you know, not, not tea bag at all to be this point of the year and only running three quarters of a pound of nitrogen. Now, What's interesting, if we go back to your soil test, and I think where you're probably buying a little bit of nitrogen here is, interestingly, between soil test one and soil test two, we do have a rise in organic matter. Um, DeMay, why do you think we saw the rise in organic matter with the... um, between between that time frame, you know, going through the corrective uh, uh, issues with with soil pH, um, bringing up our soil P levels within a tolerant range, would that contribute to an increase in organic matter? I don't believe so. I have no reason to suspect that. What's the uh, what was the uh, organic matter in the previous test? I didn't get this. Two point two. Oh boy, what was it? So we went from 2.2 to 3.4 in effectively almost a year. Huh. I mean, Man, so, go ahead. I'll go ahead, Ryan. The only other question is, you know, so prior, okay, so let's think about this here. So 2019, what were you doing to this lawn? I, I, yeah, I didn't live here didn't live there okay so 2020 you come in what was your total uh nitrogen for the year in 2020 just ballpark doesn't need to be like oh it was probably it was probably four maybe a little it was somewhere between four and five i don't know exactly but somewhere along that pounds of in pretty yes yeah so pretty healthy for tall fescue in kansas city Right, pretty healthy. St. St. Louis, so, but you're close enough. St. Louis, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Kansas City, sorry, my bad. Yeah, it's close enough, right? Give me some grace. You're in the same time. I was in the same time zone, so you got to give me a little bit of grace. On the <laughs> yeah, all right. Good. So, okay. Only other thing that is coming to my mind here, just in thinking about it on the surface without diving too deep, is just the increase in biomass, right? From taking care of this lawn properly and pushing it a little bit harder, right? That we could be getting. The only other thing that I could suspect maybe possibly is 
you know, you picked up something in your sample that just skewed the results. I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's uncommon uh, to make a jump, you know, higher, but that's a significant jump. I mean, that's what, 2.2 to 3.4. So that's, you know, a 35% jump right there. I mean, so, you know, the other thing to consider here too, Ray, Ray, this is a good question too, right? And one that, you know, I'd have to read a little bit deeper to understand the interactions there. So, you know, we talk about, you know, fertilizer sources and things like that. But so now go back to that real quick, Jay Pink. I want to make sure Ben understands what this report is saying. Ben, that ENR number that's right there, you see that right by the organic matter? Do you know what that uh, that acronym stands for? I know it stands for, oh, I, I just heard, I just heard it's Brandon okay. say it in this video the other day. It's not, it's no, not, I don't, not a test. Not no, a test, I know so. that. I know, I know that. Yeah, it, uh, so estimated nitrogen return, right? So basically what go. they're doing is, it's an extrapolation. So this is, I mean, they're painting with a broad brush here, so you can't really take it as a gospel, right? But at least it gives you something to go off of, right? So what that number means, estimated nitrogen return, they're figuring at 3.4% of organic matter, you know, through a loss of ignition test on this soil, that you should be roughly getting about 112 pounds per acre, right, of nitrogen. So quickly, let's do the math, right? Just to help people out, it's going to be a little over two pounds, but since we're dorky, we'll do the math. So 112 divided by 43.56, so that's 2.57 pounds, right? That we should, in theory, in theory, return to the soil through a normal summertime. And especially in St. Louis, right? You guys get hot, right? We yep. talked before um, the turf culture. We, we understand what the St. Louis growing environment is like, right? It's not, um, I would say that if, uh, you know, we gave... Uh, some some folks we gave elevated landscapes or not elevated landscapes but uh, Robert Palmer turf therapy crap for being in Maryland in the Mid Atlantic and you know kind of being in the armpit. You guys are like the other armpit, you know. The broad <laughs> shoulders are right here in the middle. The head, hey Matt, Matt, the head of the country is in Ohio. Just remember that, right? You guys are <laughs> like the clavicle. You you guys you guys fracture easily, right? When you're driven into the ground by an sec west opponent right so you got to figure that about tennessee and tennessee folk right you play an sec west team you're the clavicle right you're going to get driven to the ground it's going to be six eight weeks before you're back to normal it's just the way it is all right so back to my armpit theory here uh <laughs> i'm not even gonna give you a chance to respond right hey by the way this week are we all gator fans can we all be gator fans this week please please everybody Absolutely you don't want not. Oh. Don't we oh. do not put me into that position. I will. I will. Under no circumstance ever could I'm gonna any be, Tennessee I'm gonna fan get you that, ever. I'm going to get you that team mom jersey where you got Tennessee on one half and you got Florida on the other half. I'm going to make you wear it. Has I'm Dan Mullen it. gone to USC yet? Is he at Southern Cal yet? Did he, I don't did think he so. Lane train, so. Did he lane train Florida yet? No, we've, we've, uh, it's coming. I've digressed too far. No, Urban's going to quit Jacksonville and go out to USC. Watch. All right. He's going to have heart <laughs> palpitations. All right. So back to this estimated nitrogen return. So it's 2.57 pounds, right? That should be coming back. Let's just say we even get half of that, right? So 1.25 pounds. It's a pretty significant amount of nitrogen. It's only going to come right at your hottest times of the year. So Ray, what would you suspect in terms of free nitrogen that we're going to get in terms of om mineralization on the nitrogen cycle coming back off a higher om soil in these kind of ph conditions do you uh, 
I'll be honest, like I I couldn't put that all together for you because I I don't know, right? I I just don't know okay. how that would work. So go ahead, help me out. Okay. What happens is that when your pH comes, you know, back down to earth, uh, you stop losing as much of your nitrogen to ammonia volatilization because nitrogen exists in the form of ammonia, nitrates, and urea and amino acids typically, right? But at any juncture, like for example, what happens with urea is that urea typically is transformed into ammonium nitrogen. That ammonium nitrogen then gets transformed to nitrate nitrogen. That is the nitrogen cycle. Same is true of amino acids. They get broken down into ammonia and then nitrates. But say your soil pH is excessively high. What will happen is that as soon as any ammonia is formed, it gasses off. It's gone because uh, do you know what I see in soils where their pH is deranged, like excessively high? I see shiz tons of thatch. And the reason why mm-hmm. I see so much thatch is because guess what contributes to too much thatch? A nitrogen, no, a nitrogen inefficient or nitrogen deficient environment, because then you're, you know, you don't have enough nitrogen to promote the mineralization and decomposition of any organic matter. So, but going back to this, what I also speculate is happening is that due to the improved growth of the grass he's getting some very nice root cycling happening you know the grass is pushing out roots uh you know growing thriving and basically doing what all of the magic potions in the bags and bottles uh say they do but don't actually contribute much I would love to see a biomass difference between a soil pH of seven and a, I'm I'm not a soil pH of seven, but a, uh, a soil phosphorus level of seven and a soil phosphorus level of 33 on tall fescue. I don't know if I've ever Mm -hmm. seen it on tall fescue. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be hot. I don't think anybody's running uh, long-term deficiency trials on tall fescue for uh, phosphorus, unfortunately right now. No, you have to call Uh, up, uh, You'll have to call up Dr. Doug up there in Madison and see if he can pull some bent grass samples for you off of his sand. I think he's got it on soil too. So, you know, but I would agree that there's probably going to be some definite species difference there, right? In terms of yeah. root mass and uh, in in, in those yeah. extremely deficient, you know, P levels, single digits. That's wild. I mean, that's wild stuff. So, yeah, that could be, you know, that's that's another great point. Right, that you know, you talk about root cycling, but that could be the OM explanation too. Is that, hey, extremely deficient in phosphorus, not so extremely deficient in phosphorus here a year later. 
And maybe a lot of that OM is coming just from roots, right? So now isn't um, the general thought on OM is you get a 30% return on your first year. And may, I may be just pulling that totally out of my ass. I don't, I'm going well, off memory. I've never, I've never heard that. I don't know, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, know, I, I don't, don't know either. Yeah. We don't want to get, like hey, we don't want to get that somewhere. Yeah. I, I need, yeah. Someone take that off the official well, record. Let me go research that before I make any kind of definitive <laughs> statement there. Listen, let's let's get that. turf strike truth that. on something. Let's get some better turf truth yeah. on something better than freaking soil phosphorus, man. You know? <laughs> like that's already hey, listen, after this week, that shit's already played out. So I mean <laughs> Yeah, let's get I I'd I'd be interested to see uh and I don't know, I could definitely do some digging in that in uh mineralization rates year over year, right? But I I feel like I've done a fair amount of research on the organic matter and organic matter sources and release rates. I feel like OM in general in soil is a 30% return, but um, like I said, I don't know that for 100%. That could so I have a couple questions. Shit. Yeah, man. Lay it on us. Would, would the, so when I did my fall aeration and overseeding last year in 2020, at the same time I did all that, I did put down the, uh, the old egg soil at 20 pounds per thousand. Oh. And so could that have made the difference with the organic matter? Uh, and then I, this is unrelated. One point two percent. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, what you put down is seems like a lot, but in the grand scheme of that sample that you took, it's it's not that much. So there's other stuff going on, but it it could okay. contribute. Yes, sure. yes, it could. Contribute. So the other thing I was going to ask is, growing with Greg, he was asking about the the soil depth uh, that I was taking each year. Um, you know, how much can that? sway a a soil test like a year-to-year test like this can oh so what greg is referring to go ahead no i was just gonna say can it can it make it a soil test look this drastically different um year like from one year to the next absolutely it can right in particular with pee because here is what greg probably looked at because i knew who greg is a fan of even though i haven't met the guy yet but we will meet him on november the 4th and I'm hey. very delighted to have him on. That's a that's a little hey, tease. Uh, it's it's far out. Real, real quick, far uh, out. at forty at twenty pounds per thousand, you would have applied um point zero four three five percent organic matter. Point zero four three five percent organic matter. Uh, so that's assuming a furrow slice of soil, um, and uh, applying eight hundred and seventy pounds to the acre. Uh, which would be 20 pounds per thousand square feet, 0.04%. So probably not moving the needle one, you know, 1.2%. No. Let me see if I can get you the, I'll get you the the picture and JPEG can throw it up here. But what um, Growing With Greg is likely referring to, and I am going to, Completely ripped this off from Dr. Bill Kreuzer, formerly of the University of Nebraska, now out there just kind of doing his thing on the golf course in Lincoln. But let me go ahead and send this to Jay Pink. Boom, boom, boom. All right, Jay Pink, go ahead and throw that up. Now, Greg, if this isn't what you're talking about, I hope that it finds you well and that you will take it with the 
other vast cachet of uh, education that you've done for yourself here recently? Because it seems like you're pretty well written. That's good. I, I'm looking forward to talking to you here in November. So now um, let's go ahead and throw this up. Let me get back over here. Okay. So this is something that they did um, back when Bill Croyz was still at University of Nebraska, or excuse me, back at University of Wisconsin, rather. Right, that's where he did his uh, PhD, and Doctor Soldat there has been doing a ton of work for a very long time now on phosphorus deficiencies, right, and trying to induce those, right, to find out just how low can we go because some of the um, soil level of avail- available nutrients, right, the SLAN method that we have relied on for a number of years, are just really extrapolated from crops and other things that aren't necessarily turf. So phosphorus being sort of a hot button issue, particularly up in upper midwest wisconsin minnesota in that area sold at thought yeah you know what we ought to see how low can we go right how low before our grass turns purple as greg uh, alluded to here in one of his comments previously during the stream so what they did is look at okay if we just sample at you know one inch versus two inches versus six inches right what are the differences right in terms of how phosphorus basically stratifies in the soil, right? So look at those differences there, Ben. Very significant between just even, you know, one inch and two inches, right? You know, not quite 50%, mm-hmm. but pretty close, 40-ish percent, right? And then, you know, going down even further, we're, you know, almost half again, going down into the six-inch range. So this is why, you know, sampling depth is crucial, right, so that we get, you know, a good four inch plug. That's generally what we want to do. And this is something we can talk about here real quick after the fact. I'll I'll pause that thought. But just last thing on this piece here, right? The consistency year to year is what's crucial. So if you do have a soil probe that you like to use, just get yourself a, you know, a marker, right? Or a file even. I've seen people file their soil probes just so there's a little bit of a mark right there and they know where to stop, right? And, um, you know, the reason, too, that it's very important uh, from your lab's perspective, and I'll let Ray touch on this a little bit. Ray, when we sample and we send something into the lab, it's important to know the lab that we're sending it into, right? And typically, turf samples in most labs are going to be considered at four inches, right? Some aren't, yes. though, and it's important to note those depths. Now, why is it important to note the difference between four inches that we would like to take in turf versus six inches, which is very common in agriculture. How would that affect our numbers that get reported back on our soil tests, particularly the one in the lab that uh, Ben is using here? Okay. Importance of that is that if your soil sampling is too done too deeply, you're getting into the depth of soil where you don't have as much root activity because four inches and even less than four inches is the depth at which I consider most turf grasses have maximum root activity as far as being able to absorb nutrients. So if you sample beyond that depth, you are dealing with part of the soil profile that I consider not relevant to growing turf grass because 6 to 12 inches is the depth that I would sample if, say, I were establishing avocado trees or citrus trees, for example. 
but not for grass. Good point, Ray. Yeah, I mean, if you got got the citrus trees going, Matt, real quick on the on the that, that's a great point about the the physiology part, right? But Matt, the other part too, I wanted to touch on also, you know, because Ray makes a great point about just where we're physically effective in picking up that, but just in the math portion, right? Furrow slice versus not a furrow slice, right? Fractions are tough, right? Even when you're 35 years old. So explain, <laughs> uh, explain to Ben here what's going to happen if we misreport our sampling depth. Yeah. So in effect, a furrow slice of soil is uh, six inches of soil across an acre, and it typically you rate it at weighing two million pounds, right? So if you take a four-inch depth and then equate it to the weight of a six-inch depth, then you're getting a skewed number mathematically there, if that if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think so, you have another 770,000 pounds of soil, essentially, in, in yeah. your sample, right? At an acre, at an acre. So you're either and watered so, down, right? Yeah, or yep. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Effectively, that's that's what what's happening. Or you're way over concentrating things, uh, just based on your your sampling depth and miss sampling depth. So it's always good to just verify with your labs. And if you know Ben, if it's you or anybody else that's listening, always good to verify. Hey, your turf samples, right? You want those to come in at four inches, and you're going to calculate off one point three three million pounds, right? Because if we take Four divided by six, that's two-thirds. Take two-thirds of two million, you come up with 1.33 million, and that should be the weight that they're using on a furrow, you know, their furrow on um, turf, right, at four inches. So all those calculations are going to be 33% off, right? If and Or, you know, basically either watered down or um, too concentrated. So that's the bottom line there is just make sure of your depths. And you can see why here, I mean, uh, sold at, and I think Cruiser did a Cruiser uh, did a great job of illustrating right the importance here of just what can happen when you make just even a one inch error right. And so again, find your your uh, soil probe that you typically use. Go ahead and mark that, and just make sure that you're consistent year after year. Should be fine. It's a great question. So, so is with that same uh, with that same difference that you notice inch by inch for uh, phosphorus, would that be noted across all things on the soil test or just phosphorus? Mostly just phosphorus because phosphorus is one of the least mobile nutrients. Uh, So So it it tends to hang out at the surface. And it's it's an anion. So that's going to get clingy pretty quick. Remind me, I know anion... Anion is a, a familiar term to me. Remind me what it is again. Ray has a positive charge. Go ahead, Ray. Ray wants <laughs> to do don't, don't deny. Hey, hey, listen, don't deny Ray this opportunity to talk about chemistry. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Anions are negatively charged, you know, particles like phosphate because. Phosphorus exists in soil as a phosphate, which is a PO4 anion. Uh, Iron, for example, 
exists in soil as a cation, you know, Fe2 or Fe3, uh, nitrogen exists in soil either as an anion or a cation. Uh, ammonia is a cation. NH4 uh, nitrate is an anion NO3. But uh, notice which one is capable of binding to the soil. And it also has to do with how phosphorus is able to bind to the clay particle. Clay is what keeps phosphorus, you know, in place. So, and that's actually a, a mixed blessing because if you have a soil with a higher clay content, that is kind of a danger sign as far as phosphorus avail availability because that soil will tend to bind up any kind of phosphorus that you've applied and not want to liberate it back to the plants. With with all of that said, um, real quick, let's take a moment for our sponsors. Gentlemen, uh, tonight is actually going to be sponsored by, uh, shameless plug, Renovo, Renovo.eco, R-E-N-O-V-O.eco. If you have a product that you're interested in, Renovo is a custom manufacturer, and typically we operate in the fertilizer space, not always in the fertilizer space. But we have experience working with many different inputs, whether that be biochar, calcium products, you name it. If there is a way to granulate it, that is what we specifically work on. Granulation and packaging. If there's a product you dream of, if there's a fertilizer product you dream of that you just have a great idea and you want to bring it to market, that's what we specialize in. Some of our other customers that we work with is Fresh Fry, freshfry.me. Uh, also in Verit, uh, E-N-V-E-R-I-D. We manufacture both of those products. And it's something we just, we kind of get off on. We've been in this niche and we like the, the research and development part of it. So check it out, Renovo.eco, where we take dreams and turn them into products. If you have a product in mind, leave it in the comments down below and we'll figure something out. All right, that's it. That's all I have. Awesome. Uh, but you, you, that, that last hook right there, man, you sold me. Like, I've got a lot of dreams. I want to turn into products, right? Um, I'm some here of them for you, may Ryan. Or... I am here for you, Ryan. Yeah. I get this idea for the... a silicone-based lubricant. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so back, back to the, the, the soil. It's the, nano. The depth, of, the depth of the the soil sample. Can that uh, also alter the change that much in, like, pH. I know you said phosphorus is going to be the big thing, but is pH going to be another thing that could potentially be thrown off at all? Or uh, pH, probably not to as great of an extent as, say, phosphorus would be. What do you think, Ray? You can chime in on that. I honestly don't know. I don't know. What? Okay. What can happen, though, is I've seen soils where 
the deeper you go, the more alkaline the soil gets because all of the calcium and magnesium has leached downward. Mm, that because makes sense. I'm, no, I'm familiar with crappy subsoil sold as topsoil that is inhospitable to plant growth because guess why, guys? Your pH is over 7.5 and the magnesium and calcium is through the roof. Uh, so how deep so, would you have to go to get to something like that, though? 12 inches or deeper. Okay. 12 inches or deeper. But having said that, with you know that range that we play in, which is between 0 to 4 inches, the first 12 inches are not statistically significant as far as the pH goes. If that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. So. What are you laughing at, Ryan? <laughs> I'm reading back. I haven't watched. I haven't read through the comments. And somebody, uh, back to my whole state's comment and my diatribe there. Somebody said that Michigan is the head. And that Ohio is the neck beard, and <laughs> I don't know if Michigan's—I don't know if Michigan's the head, but there's some neck beards in Ohio. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm working on one here. It's not quite—I don't have uh, the connection that Matt had nearly like a week ago, where he was inches away from—I mean, a full happy trail, basically from his bottom lip clear down to well, pound town, you know. It was. It was. Like, it was. I'm less than it was a sexual. My... Yeah, it was a sexual superhighway, right down here. Right. I mean, an autobahn of pleasure. Right. It's just, I, I, I can't grow it any better than you can. So I appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you. <laughs> All right. So what else we have to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Let's. Let's. <laughs> Let's move into questions. How can we help you in this upcoming year? Absolutely. Um, well, so this year, uh, well, first I'll, I'll just start with this year. This year, I uh, for my to continue working on my soil pH. Again, all fertilizer or nitrogen has predominantly come from AMS. Um, I'm still doing. Month, I did monthly citric acid applications. I was initially just going to go with uh, two five-pound applications of elemental sulfur, but I chose to just go. I, I actually went with three this year instead of two, um, which is one less than last year. Um, and just judging by my conversation with you, Matt, uh, at the beginning of the year, you had, you had said that Two would have been fine, and then then the citric acid by itself probably would have helped maintain where I was. So I assumed, you know, doing a little bit more of the elemental sulfur, maybe just kind of continue help nudging the pH going down. Um, you know, I I I, I kind of took a this year's just been a weird year for a lot of different reasons. Um, I you know I one of the things. Uh, one I'm of sorry. the things that I just did this year, 
Um, I would love to like at some point, and I mentioned this before the show. Um, I, I mean, my my main objective with lawn care stuff, because as I you know dove into lawn care stuff just like four or five years ago, I you know I realized that the soil is kind of the thing that we need to you know, making sure we're doing our best to improve it and and take care of it and those types of things. So for my situation, I've always been trying to think of like, uh, what more can I do to, you know, improve the soil and, and those types of things. So one of the things I wanted to do this year, but just did not, is I wanted to do a core aeration, uh, even though it's a tall cut lawn, I wanted to remove those cores and actually do a top dress with like a an 80 20 uh mix with sand to help with drainage and just add more, you know, compost type mix into the soil just to uh help things that way. I don't know if that would help. It would just it, I would assume it would. Um <clears throat> I didn't do that just because for one, I have a 9000 square foot long and I'm not about to do that uh without some sort of spreader uh cuz I just I have 3 kids and one on the way. Uh, and I don't have time to be out there slinging a shovel, uh, and doing it that way. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to do, but I, I, it it didn't happen this year. Would that be something like that be advantageous in the future? No. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I didn't. No, 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 no. No. Okay. Let me, let me tell you what you could do though. So you, you say, right. That you're predominantly, you know, silty clay soil right i'm gonna guess just based on the way that it all shakes out and what i know of that area um drains slowly drains kind of poorly right and your water holding capacity right like i'm gonna guess that you go from really wet to and eh, this is kind of dry and i could use some water like fairly quickly right there is not a whole lot of middle ground in that space right of Hey, it's just perfect, right? I've got perfect moisture and I might stay here for two or three or four or five days. Like that just doesn't happen typically, I'm going to guess. I I would say that my front lawn kind of does, I would say more in that range. My back lawn tends to stay in certain spots a little bit more moist. I don't know if that bothers somebody, that word moist. (laughs) Um, Sometimes you you got to really enunciate this uh, (laughs) right there. Uh, the back lawn stays uh, a little bit more moist than uh, the front and the side. The uh, the side yard definitely dries out uh, a lot quicker because that's that's the south facing and it's in sun all day long. And the the uh, uh, I should make note that the bottom of the side lawn tends to stay a little bit more probably in that optimal range just because it is it is a slight slope. So that is naturally going to collect a little bit more water. But up by where that, when that picture you're seeing right now, up where that tree is this year, that's where I noticed a lot of just dry spots, heat stress and those types of areas. Cause it just dried out a lot quicker than anywhere else. All right. So here's where I'm going to get completely nerded out with you for a second. What were you going to aerate with? Like what were you, what don't tell me like something I rent from home people. I want to know the make the model. If you have a serial number, that'd be great. Um, (laughs) What what are we, what are we working with here? Truly? Like, is it, what do you got? I mean, 
I'm, I'm going to tell you what you didn't want to hear, but it was just going to be something I rented from uh, a local okay. equipment place. That's fine. That's fine. So now I want you to go in search of, right? Because you're in a big, you're in a big city, a big area and granted you might be on the outskirts, but you know, you seem like the kind of guy that's willing to drive a little bit to find what you want. Um, Ray, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't know it all that well, right, in the lawn space, but I want to say that the Billy Goat model is probably the best one because it's a true reciprocator. It's not that drum-type BS, right? And if you have to settle mm -hmm. for, like, the Ryan or the basic bitch airifier, totally fine, right? We can work with that. But I'd like to see if you can find that one first, right, because you can really control um, the amount of displacement that you're actually getting, right, the amount of surface area that you're actually covering. A little bit easier a little bit better so what i would ask you to do is pick an area let's just say 500,000 square feet right and let's try this program you airify it with whatever you want to whatever you want to airify it with collect all your cores right and then i'm going to send you a link and it's not going to be an affiliate link or any of that bs right like i don't care about that i just want you to use the right product okay so in this space in the sports field and golf course space, if we were going to try and do what you want to do, and especially in native soil and backfilling with some type of sand, right? The amount of holes you're going to make in one pass is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like two to 3% total area, right? Over the entire soil. Same thing with volume, right? We're, we're not going to get very much volume of soil affected with that 80, 20 mix. And it's going to take a lot of work to get to that. Right? So what I'd like to see done is, Go ahead over that as many times as you can. I would say that probably at least two, if not three times would be ideal. That's going to create a lot of cleanup, a lot of mess that you're going to have to do. But if it's only 500 to 1,000 square feet as a test area, that's completely fine, right? You've got 9,000 square feet. Let's not go wholesale and do the entire thing. The thing I would ask you to look for and get, and out in that area, um, man, don't know i'll have to search and i will send this to you for sure Hell um yeah. which let me j pink let me send you a link to this real quick well, products fairway Let's see here perfect now coming to you j pink all right Jeff, go ahead and pull that up. So what this product is, this is the same thing. Um, are you a Cardinals fan? Let me ask you that first. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Because <laughs> I don't like any of the other National League Central teams besides the Cardinals. So, you know, the Pirates can eat it. I live in Ohio. The Reds, nah, not for me. Cubs, definitely not. They beat the Indians in the World Series in 2016. They can piss up a rope as far as I'm concerned. If you're a Cubs fan right now, I'm talking right to you. All right? jumped on the bandwagon i saw you do it get out of here all right now so they use this product on their fields right right on top that beautiful uh brown or red dirt that they have right there on the infield actually what you're seeing is a product that is a uh, porous ceramic or a, a calcined clay okay what they do is they take a very specific clay that comes from one place and one place only in the entire world that is Mount, matt martin blue mountain mississippi Mississippi. I don't know. Now I don't I don't know Blue down Mountain, there in Mississippi. Blue, now take go ahead and take a look at that. Blue Mountain, Mississippi. I, I, and I they this. bake this stuff out, right? And the nice thing about it, it will hold its entire weight in water, right? So every gram of material you get, you get a gram of water holding capacity. Okay. I know where this is? 
I'm sure. I'm sure you do. I mean, if you're from Mississippi, you know where everywhere Mississippi is. I mean, you probably know somebody on the road that this freaking this mine is that has a triple wide, right? I mean, listen, I've hey, done a fair amount of fishing in and around Holly Springs National Forest, and this is just on the other side of it. So I'm I'm familiar okay. with this area. You all are related. I get it. I understand it. It's okay. <laughs> so that was bad. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm feeling some guilt. I'm feeling some guilt on that burn there for a second. Anyhow, so the nice thing about this product, right, is that it will absorb its own weight. And so you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck out of something like this, right? 500 square feet. Now it's going to get spendy, right? You want to be at about 500 pounds per thousand square feet. So my my charge to you is to go find 500 square feet to 1,000 square feet and buy 250 to 500 pounds of the stuff. You're going to probably find it for, I would say, somewhere in the 15 to $20 a bag range, probably closer to 20 if I had to guess, right? So 10 bags, uh, 500 pounds is going to cost you, you know, roughly $200 plus tax, okay? I want you to try this out and top dress it in, and I think you're going to have much better luck with this, right, in terms of not only drainage properties, right? Because it's going to pull water down really quickly and hold it in there. But also too, is that it will release that water a little bit slowly too, because really what this stuff was originally made for was baseball fields to hold moisture in the dirt, right? So that they had good clean in, clean out action through the entire game and not just the first inning after you see those guys walk off there with the hose. So it's a little fine material. The nice thing about it too, is that unlike the 80-20 mix that you would get and hump out in wheelbarrows or something like that, you can put this right through your spreader, absolutely no problem. So I will try and find a local vendor for you and I will see what we can do to hook you up with this. I have absolutely no affiliation with this company. I know their products work just because I use them, I spec them in different situations. And in this situation, this is what I would spec. So I'd like you to try it, see what you think and take the 80-20 and tell the, uh, the dirt guys to go shove it up wherever. No, and so I I really didn't know where it like because my honestly like I said I'm a, I'm a stay at home dad so you know I this year was kind of uh, I tried to do, I honestly was just doing a little bit I wasn't doing uh, I wasn't going over the top with applying a bunch of things or anything like that but I didn't know where to take the lawn uh, you know year by year I didn't know should I just keep doing the stuff with the elemental sulfur and citric acid keep testing year by year to see how that's changing um but my my i guess my dream would be to like uh, i'd love to like maybe do a full renovation on a part of the lawn and do um you know a really good turf type tall fescue because i don't have time to do any sort of real mowing or anything like that but i'd love to do like a uh you know some really good turf type tall fescue because there is in my lawn there is some uh kentucky bluegrass there is some like random fine fescue in areas it's it's kind of uh just a, a hodgepodge of different things i mean it looks great don't get me wrong i, I like what it looks like but i you know i've i've always been wondering like what am i going to do next to keep you know improving things or go to that you know another level if you want to call it that so that's just uh i the the whole top dressing thing was just something i thought of i didn't know if that was the greatest idea um no but and that's why I think it's good to put out just a test pot, right? There's no reason on 9,000 square feet to go wholesale and, you know, stick your whatever all up in crazy, right? There's there's sure. no reason for that. So, you know, just a tip, just a little bit, right? Well, See and, and like. so since since we just moved in, 
at the end of or basically at the beginning of 2020, I wasn't planning on doing any sort of major renovations at all until I kind of learned the area and figured out what the lawn was like and what the soil was like and stuff like that. And I'm I'm glad I didn't try to do any sort of renovations after seeing my soil test and all that kind of stuff because I think I would have just run into a ton of problems that I would definitely have no idea what to do with. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, 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 sometimes I, I throw it tossed by my wife, like, Hey, what'd you think about me killing off the side of the lawn and putting some really sweet, uh, like really good tall, uh, tall fescue down to make it just like one uniform part. And she's like, well, you know, it, it just is a lot of work and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. Next year might be something I, in the fall, I might do something, try to do something like that because uh, we're starting to get uh, some fiber uh, run through our, our yard at that point in time. So it's, it might get torn up. So it may be a good time to do something like that. I don't know. I honestly, my question for you guys would be like, what do you think as far as continuing my improving the soil? Forget it. Forget about like putting different grass seed down and all that kind of stuff. Continuing to improve the soil. What would? What How would do you, you guys define improving the soil? Yeah, that's well, a I good guess, question. I guess like should I continue yeah. to do the things in regards to the pH that I'm doing right now, uh, year to year, yes. or like how long should I do that and stuff like that? Well, um, if are stop. you irrigating? Are you irrigating? Yes chances are your irrigation water is what is driving up your soil pH. So yes, you will it's have to con continue doing that. Okay. So it, you do is, it is. Here's my simple. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead Ray, or simple Ryan answer. or whoever. Here's my simple answer, Ben. You continue to maintain your pH as long as you want your grass nice and green. Because I don't look at pH management as a one-time cure sure. because I wish I had that. I mean, I wish I had a 50-pound bag of something that I could tell somebody to buy that would permanently fix their pH issues, but there's no such thing. I mean, I call it maintenance. So I guess the yeah. better question would be to in in regards to how much of each thing like in regards to citric acid and elemental sulfur. Like uh, last year, I did you know four or five pound per thousand applications of elemental sulfur. This year, I'm doing three. Uh, like, does it come at a point to where I'm I back those off and just do maybe two every year rather than like that's kind of another thing I've thought about is like how heavy handed do I need to get each year to do all that. There's a chance the data yeah, is going to tell it, you. Yeah, yeah. Soil testing will tell you that there's a chance that over time, yeah, you may get it down to a six point five, and then you can just run on ammonium sulfate and then see what you look like the next year. But if you're running sure. ammonium sulfate and you go from a six five to a seven two, then that tells you, oh wow, okay, I need to get a little bit more aggressive. I got to add my elemental sulfur back in. Can that jump that happen a good, in just a single year? Probably not. Okay. I guess it could. Yeah. It, and it's possible. <laughs> it could, but, it could, it could, I mean, well, and here's, here's what I was, here's what I was going to get at. The water that you irrigate the lawn with, is that domestic water, like city water, or is it, is it like well water or something like that? You said you live on the outskirts. Yeah. So I don't know how far out 
Yeah, it's city water. It's the same house we use for drinking water and stuff like that. Okay. So it might be worth, you know, looking to, at your water authority or your water company or whatever, and they should be able to provide really good lab results, right, in terms of, um, you know, the pH of that water and what it comes out at, right? They have to do that as, as far as their quality control testing. So, you know, is it a depositor, right, in terms of some of these um, minerals that are going into the soil? It could be, right? So it's worth looking into that and, and seeing, right? What you might be getting from that but i agree that you know the the ph thing like you're you know you're not dating this like you're married to it now man like i this, got you this is it you 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 know you whether you want to or not you know you're gonna have to uh you know go out there you know every few you know few months and look at the bag of sulfur and say all right well hey you know it's time for our uh <laughs> you know or quarterly cordis, right, or whatever it's going to be, right? So, you know, that's just the way it is, and it's okay. Um, I think with, you know, the other things outside of just soil, I think a lot of people get caught up in, I'm going to improve the soil, and I'm not saying you're wrong for doing this. Please don't understand. I'm, I'm not um, trying to be crass here at all, you know, for you or anybody else that thinks that that's important. I do as well, but I also think that there's a lot of other things that and facets that go into good agronomy and turf grass management that you need to be mindful of. And I, I, what I would say is that for somebody in your situation that clearly you have a lot going on in life, right? Outside of your lawn, you still want to have a good lawn, but focus on one thing at a time. And so I think this pH thing is a great thing to start, right? It's a very Mm -hmm. foundational thing that is going to help you learn a lot about how your lawn responds to different things outside of just the pH of it. And then from there, you can start to build out and really look deeper into, you know, your nitrogen management. Uh, philosophy and how that works and playing around with it a little bit, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned, and I think, I think it's a good point that, you know, you don't want to be too heavy handed in the spring and things like that, but what does it look like on the back end of the year in the fall? Are you being aggressive sure. enough at that time? Like, so there's, there's all these other questions and um, things to explore beyond that. But I think you're in a great spot to start given that this is your second year on this lawn, right? Going into your third and, you're taking you're you're taking ownership of it like you're really trying to own the issues at, of the day and not just i mean ray matt don't get me wrong Hell yeah. you know, okay i know what ray would do right ray would go full nuclear winter with this thing ray would raise the grade ray, by four and a half feet yeah you're, no, i you're, wouldn't do your that your windows are going to be at at shin level now so when you look out the windows you're going to see people's feet that's that's well, what we're actually, at right I, now. I wouldn't i wouldn't do that for ben and the reason why is because he has a different type of grass it's at a different level of management i mean i get it and that is why i keep on saying i am so damned envious of people that have cool season high cut turf I'm a, I'm a little envious. You know, so in in I'm, I want to I want to dive a little deeper into this compost thing real quick. It, that it's it, it, no, there's no inherent problem with with compost. Um, you got to understand that the biggest benefit you're getting out of compost is going to be one, you're applying a lower bulk density material, and two, you're actually just delivering slow release NPK right? That's the big advantage of, of compost. 
I would say the two top biggest advantages. You can argue with me on it. All right. Actually, let's we'll deep dive into this a little bit. Ray, what would your uh, uh, Ray, Ryan? What would your top two biggest, top three biggest advantages of applying compost be? Top three? Yeah, give me three. Jeez. <laughs> uh, um, I'm just curious how we all situation fall on the spectrum in, in, in general. In general. Uh, in general. Okay. In general, right? Yeah, I know. Put that on there because turf truth. Make sure you get this. Make sure you get me squared up real good here. <laughs> Zooming. Look at this. Right. Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> Enhance. Hey, you want to go for a mustache ride, turf truth? All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Top three, right? So we can increase soil tilth, right, in theory, right? Because we're putting a lower bulk density material into what is conceivably a higher bulk density material. So, you know, we, we've shown that, like, there's some really good research out of Ohio State. There's a couple of grad students that did a lot of research on this back in the uh, 2010s, right, early in the year. Um, I'm going to bounce for one second. I've got a child issue to deal with, and then I will come back and give you my other two. Ray, you pick it up from here. Ray, give us your top okay. three advantages of applying compost. If you have three, Ray, I don't expect you to have three. Okay. Number one, temporary decrease in bulk density. Number two, temporary increase in water holding capacity. And number three, temporary addition of N, P, and K. And I think notice how I, and you notice how I say temporary because compost breaks down, compost shrinks, and I try to say benefit because you know, think of it in terms of a benefit because normally in the turf that I maintain, compost. And any kind of excessive organic matter is normally considered an extreme detriment. Yeah, and and that's where, you, you know, and there are certain instances where it does become a, a detriment, right? So when you are maintaining grasses at, uh, I use this term loosely, extreme heights of cut. But when I'm, when I'm talking about when I say extreme heights of cut, I'm saying uh, below its uh, genetically acceptable level, right? So if you were trying to maintain uh, a Bermuda grass at 0.1 inches, right, the addition of organic matter can become problematic over a period of time, right? Because you're, you're impeding drainage after a certain point and, uh, and really, you know, you live and die by the flow of water through that root zone. Um, Lots of other things that you can start to affect there. But if we look at it from, you know, purely from the standpoint of in a four inch tall fescue lawn, the application of, of compost really, assuming you don't have water holding issues to begin with, is that the main thing is you're going to be getting an MPK bump from it. That's going to be relatively slow release, right? So, oh, good. Ryan's back. 
Ray <laughs> gave us his top three, which he said temporary bump and MPK, temporary tilth, lower bulk density, and temporary uh, moisture retention. I, I thought he was going to say up, turn up. Boobs and I, I thought he was going to save ribeye, boobs, and trident sprayers. That was my three. <laughs> upper, I, coconut shrimp. That's what I. That's what I. Oh, yeah. Coconut, coconut shrimp. shrimp. Yeah. Oh, coconut, <laughs> coconut shrimp is a detriment. It's a definite detriment. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have to spray a lot of tough actin actin somewhere to get rid of all that funk, all that noise. Okay. So. Other things here related to that, um, you know, I heard you guys talk about and bump of MPK and stuff like that. And the other thing here too is Matt Ray, what are the quality of compost sources that we generally have available to us? That's another thing, right? Because, um, you know, the carbon to nitrogen ratio becomes a big factor here because there are, trust me, I've seen just in, you know around here, around here, people say, man. Y'all want some of that comp? This, these are the Tennessee guys that live in Ohio. Y'all want some of that compost? Got it down here, or as they say, there's a there's a, a wonderful British lady who's the sports turf um, extension agent here in Ohio for Ohio State, and she calls it compost. And every time she says that, it's mm -hmm. like I have a sorry, I have a mini stroke. I had a yeah, a I had mini a panic stroke. attack. <laughs> but. She's great, and it's okay. She can say compost, and it's okay. But anyhow, carbon to nitrogen ratio. Matt, you would know a lot about this. Why don't you explain this to our dear friend Ben, why carbon to nitrogen ratio with compost is so critical to getting it either really, really right or really wrong. Yeah, so if you get too skewed in your C to N ratio, effectively you're going to be robbing the plants of nitrogen right so it, the 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 uh the organic matter if too rich in carbon will steal nitrogen from the soil which means it's taking it away from the plant in order to mineralize that organic matter does that make sense correct tell me about the football yes. field the first time you used biochar matt i've already heard it's a great story, story. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. we just we turned it. Uh, that was a total. Uh, it was a, that was a yeah, carbon and nitrogen yellow. issue. Yeah, <laughs> and hundred percent. I want to kind of also interject one more thing that is something to think about when you bring in organic matter consisting of composted green matter into your property, mm -hmm. in that if you are not careful about how good the composting process was, you run an extremely high risk of bringing in weeds because that would be like my fourth strike against bringing in compost into a property is I don't want somebody to end up with different varieties of spurge. I don't want them to end up with nutsedge that they don't already have. I don't want them to end up with weed species of trees that they don't already have just because they have five tons of compost uh, spread over their property. Because, true story, Ryan, 
I remember dealing with a landscape that had such material brought in. And guess what my mm-hmm. pre-emergent was for the bed areas? Oh, I'll say isoxabin just for fun and not know. Sure, guard. Okay. Actually, this happened in the 1990s before we had all Imazepic. the real good stuff. So I had Runstar, uh, Surfland, and Gallery, oh. all three together. I had to do that because this person just had gnarly weeds. It was was horrible. People people of a certain age, Ray, will not know the uh, immediate satisfaction you have with spraying Surfland when it looks like (laughs) a a can of orange (laughs) spray paint has exploded all over your beds. I mean... It's a paintball fight. Yeah, it's it's either it's either a paintball fight or yeah, or Peter North drank a whole gallon of surfland. Yeah, yeah, you'll tip in the model ninety eight right there, auto cocker. Yeah, mm-hmm. we get it. But uh, that sounded know, like that something else. To, that, but that speaks to the you know the one caveat to just buying and bringing in compost because. You know why I'm I'm so itchy about compost nowadays? Because prior to 1980, oh, a lot of yeah. compost got fumigated. You can't do that anymore. So you started down a path there, and I almost said scabies, but then I remembered, nope, that's definitely not it. We're good. So why yeah, did yeah, I get so itchy it, about yeah. compost? Yeah, yeah. I and had the to tell. The, I, I had itch- to retell the joke. Yeah. Yeah, the re- the reason why I get itchy about it is prior to 1980, seeds in compost, specifically weed seeds, was not as much of an issue. And you know why, Matt? It wasn't an issue. Why? Nestle bromide. Ah. <laughs> Okay, so, okay, real for quick, those real don't quick. Know, more... Methyl bromide is a fumigant yeah. that is uh, no longer legal. Um, which, yeah. which, let's, let's, let's real quick tell the story, right? So all the kids around can, can rejoice, right? This is like your grandpa telling you the story about, you know, how back they ate, day. you know. Yeah, exactly. Back in my day, we literally put plastic around an area that we wanted to kill, right? We had to dress up in complete, full respirators, Tyvek suits, gloves, literally look like we were in the movie Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman and we didn't know where the monkey was, right? And then we pumped mm-hmm. gas into said plastic and killed off every MF and little uh, living thing within, what, right, 12 inches or so down in the soil? It was at least within at least 12 inches or alternately, if it wasn't pumped in, that stuff would come in a one-pound steel can, and like ammo, like ammo, Ray. Might as well just use yeah, a fifty like, cal on all those soil microbes. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, actually, it would come in something that looked almost like a refrigerant can. Yeah, but anyway, you the the way that it would be used is you'd break that can open inside of a pie pan that had a needle sticking up out of it. 
you know, and of course this would be underneath the plastic. And so you'd take that can, puncture the seal on the nail into that pipe pan. The gas would immediately vaporize underneath the plastic and everything underneath that plastic to a depth of at least 12 inches is not there anymore in 24 hours. Nuts two things I took away from grass. this. <laughs> yeah, Whatever. Uh, yeah, anything. I mean, all all living things. The two things I took away from this one, the missed opportunity that we had in our last burner return. By the way, if you don't know what burner return is, please visit us, visit us at patreon.com forward slash burner return, right? Join over there or check us out on uh, Matt's YouTube channel. We record every week. Great podcast. Spotify, Usually Apple Ray mentions- podcast, all those things. Just type in burner all those return things. podcast, you'll find it. Typically, Ray mentions death there, but I think he forgot, right? So we had to, at the very end of Ben's segment, and I'm sorry, Ben, that you had to you know, make sure that we, we got this in. Ray got to talk about death. So all's well, all's right in the world. And the last <laughs> thing is that I learned tonight and took away from this whole conversation is if you're using methyl bromide in Ray's world, make sure you fire in three-shot bursts, right? We don't want the barrels to heat up. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, ben, do you have any more questions? No, I mean, I guess the takeaway for me is from you guys, uh, for my situation is just, you know, basically just keep working on the pH year to year. Uh, I'm pro. I mean, I plan to soil test every year as well, just to kind of see how that's going. Um, other than that, I don't really, there doesn't seem to be any sort of major things that I need to make sure I'm doing other than working on that. Oh, I do have another question. Actually, I, I forgot to ask. So this year, I, this year you, you had me using uh propiconazole and the Zoxystrobin for my, uh, my prevention, fungicide prevention stuff, Matt, uh, since I use that this year, what should I use next year? Cause I know you're supposed to rotate, um, to prevent, uh, what you may call it blanking on the name resistance um, resistance resistance yes thank you ryan uh You're welcome, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what would you suggest i rotate or use next year or all hey, of you guys? i'm gonna do a little bit of math oh yeah you got plenty of that um i don't know if you i'll i'll mention one that ray would love to mention right i will mention a product that's called exteris right so it's going to be a little spendy. It's going to be close to 400 bucks for a two and a half gallon, but that's going to last you quite a while, right? So you're going to have roughly oh, almost six sprays with that two and a half gallon jug. Um, and that's going to last you at least on your full lawn, probably three years, right? Because you probably don't want to do more than two sprays of this. So this is what we always say about like some getting some of the uh, more advanced chemistry is, you know, every year just plan on purchasing like one product that's a big ticket item, right? And add that to your cachet. Now, in your case, with a bigger lawn, it's going to, you know, dwindle down a little bit quicker than somebody who's got a two, three, four thousand, five thousand square foot lawn. But if you really want to have a good rotation, right, of fungicides, you're going to buy some of the cheaper stuff like the propiconazole, which really isn't super expensive, right, for what it is, and then get it yourself into some uh, some of the big time name products. So. I think that would be a great rotational partner off of the propiconazole and um, the azoxystrobin, right? You can still keep those as part of your program. And I think it's a great kind of mix of uh, 
products to throw out there. A little bit heavy on the Strobularens, but I think you can live with it, right? Right? What do you think? Actually, if Ben has a known dollar spot issue, I would like to add one more thing to his pro- program that is not a Strobularen, not a DMI, and not an SDHI, and that would be mm. thiophanate nestle. 3336. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. That's okay. No, I kind of like it for dollar spot because my experience with thiophanate nestle is that it can be used during the time of the year when you should absolutely not be hitting cool season grasses or any kind of grass very hard with propiconazole. Here is my only caveat to that. My only Mm -hmm. caveat, Ray. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if Ben has seen this yet or if he will see this or when he will see this. But gray leaf spot on tall fescue is a thing. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. And I'd be saving that. I'd be saving that thiophenate for the shit is that Wait, Actually, no, this would be even worse. The fan is actually being dropped onto a pile of shit. The fan, no, not shit is the fan, but the entire fan has gone down into the shit. And we want to have some thiophanate methyl in case we get really a spot on tall fescue because, you know, Ben's at home with these kids all day. Fourth one's on the way. He doesn't want to have mama come home and be like, why is the lawn dead? Like, isn't yeah. this like what you do? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. 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 Okay. Greeley. So we want Ben to a... go ahead. Go ahead. You, yeah. you explain yeah. gray leaf spot here. Okay. Gray leaf spot is controlled very well by thiophanate nestle. It is also fairly well controlled by the SDHI class of fungicides as well. And Exteris, to me, is basically my rescue treatment for both gray leaf spot and dollar spot that's like what i'm laying down if i have an active infestation because it is that effective however i don't overuse it or play it out because it works very well so it's a case of use it but don't abuse it because by the way your effective rate for dollar spot using Exteris is only three ounces per thousand square foot. You don't need a lot. So are those yeah. products that, that you guys are mentioning, is that something I would use like uh what would I use that in combination? In combination with everything, or and would I use that throughout the year and then change it again the following year or how does that i've i've never i'm new to all of this uh the fungicides because this year's this year's really the first year i have used fungicides because i'm i'm a rookie to all this like this is really my like you know i don't no, know your full introduction fourth or fifth year of actually like these are no these are on and each year each year up until this point has been something i've just i've started to do uh like i've added to what i actually have done because like prior to last year my spraying fungicides something i never did and uh so that that's something i'm much more comfortable with this year because i've done it uh a lot more this year um so that's just something i just don't know 
first i want to uh, seriously i want to say thank you for your approach sir I'm, I'm being dead honest right now thank you for your approach because a lot of people either try to take it all on and get really discouraged right or they don't manage expectations and then things blow up in their face and then it's the product's fault or it's the weather's fault or something like that like you're taking one thing at a time and you're addressing it ph and now you're adding in these layers right one at a time to level up a little bit and i appreciate that so in my mind right this is if you still have these oxystrobe and the propiconazole i'd be using those you know predominantly in the spring and fall in your location just because propiconazole can get a little bit squirrely in the summertime right for what you're trying to do and then using some of these other products in the summertime right a little bit heavy hitting chemistries right not necessarily from an environmental standpoint or from a safety standpoint but an efficacy standpoint for sure right these would be the times to use uh, some of these heavy hitters so i'm curious from matt and ray i got put on the spot on the top three what what would be if you had these in the barn let's just say you had exteris you had propiconazole and you had oxystrobin in the barn right i'm going to ask you how would you rotate those in a in one year Number one and number two, if you could add one more thing, and I know what Ray's going to say, he's going to say thiophenate methyl. If you could add one more thing, Matt, play contrarian here, not thiophenate methyl. What would you go buy and run? Phosphite. Oh, I'd be running phosphite all day. Don't no, don't don't include that because phosphite should just be in there in my mind, and for every for every app, right? And not because you're low in soil soil uh, potassium or some bullshit like that either. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, everything is covered. I'm not sure why I would need to add anything else. Hey, actually, you never know. Here's a, here's what I would add, and and I would kind of, you know, this just goes to back to my fundamental program is, Aliyah. Or signature stress guard goes in the tank every time I have to spray fungicide. And the reason why is because azoxystrobin, not to be used to target piscium, uh, exteris, not to be used to target piscium, uh, topiconazole, totally ineffective. For piscium. Thiophenate methyl, not effective on piscium. So, the reason why I bring up piscium is because under high humidity conditions, your turf type tall fescue can have the piscium superimpose right on top of the dollar spot and the gray leaf spot. So you're not only playing with one or two diseases, you just have a party on your lawn. So I would be looking towards making sure that I don't get caught with my pants down in front of the entire school because I didn't plan to treat or prevent piscium because typically for me, if I have disease weather, piscium 
is a possibility because I normally associate disease with excessive humidity and excessive water. Am I right, Ryan? No, in, in especially in St. Louis and that area, right, of the Midwest, uh, again, the armpit-type weather, absolutely, mm-hmm. right, we're getting in the same situation where we could really have some major, major issues. And so in my mind, um, I don't think it's a uh, – I gave Matt some shit. I'm sorry. He's not here to listen. That's <laughs> the point. And that's why I'm apologizing now, right, so that he doesn't hear it. But um, – <laughs> What did is, you say? I said I apologize for letting you add phosphites into the program. I see, in my mind, like, I don't look at them as a, uh, they have fungicidic properties, all this kind of stuff, but I wouldn't lump them in with my fungicide program necessarily. So I, I think it's a good thing, though. I think Ray makes a great point. So, Ben, to your point, um, phosphites and or Aliette, right, they both have a very similar response in the way that they, um elicit a plant dispense response within turf and i think either of those would be a suitable uh tank partner to a lot of things is it going to help you with a whole bunch of other diseases no but getting clipped by pythium in the middle of summer is not very fun it's not very bad fun time so a bad time <laughs> yeah and, and and you know what the other thing too ray is like you got to wear that thing like the scarlet letter, man, because there's no, it's not like, Hey, it's going to bounce back real quick and everything's going to be fine. Especially with tall fescue, right? Being a bunch type grass, like you're going to wear that for a while. And people are going to be like, Ben, Hey, dude, what happened to your lawn? (laughs) And you're going to have to be like, uh, well, (laughs) I, you know what, Ryan, I feel that. And do you know why I feel that? Guess what happens when, one of my zoysia lawns pusses out in, say, December. Hey, what do you, you think get happens? yourself some paint and you paint that. No, That's what I would do right now. No, I, paint no, I have to I have to <laughs> live with that and explain that until the lawn recovers in, say, July or August. Yeah, that's so, fun. So you better believe it. I'm going to cover for the diseases that have the potential to really cause damage because you know dollar spot dollar mm-hmm. spot is something that no matter how bad it looks it's very easy for the lawn to recover from it uh large patch not so much pythium forget it because do you know what the name for pythium is the you know the the, the nickname for it is what it's called it's called mil- damping off it's called oh, damping, damping off, off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and <clears throat> and so that name just you know when i hear the the name damping off i'm thinking the grass is dying and it's just turning into a slimy rotten sickly mess and it's, it's not very, even it, just it could, be, the, could be moist too yeah yeah, and it's just it's just a rottenness, and you just you know you just don't want to be there. And as far as like uh, you know Ben is concerned, you don't want to see that or have to deal with that 
like in the middle of summer because I know quite well that the lawn is not going to recover, you know, in that heat. That's not its optimal no. growing time. No. It, it, there's there's lots to go wrong there. So I I think, you know, the phosphites are, if, if you're just going to add one layer, you know, the... the the thing I would say as far as you know your your compatible tank partners would be phosphite could go down with everything. Aliette, as Ray mentioned, is very similar in the way that it acts. Could go down with everything. And then you can sort of bounce back and forth. You know, spring and fall with your azoxy strobe and your propoconazole, and then rely on your heavy hitting chemistries, quote unquote, with Xteris or something else similar to that, right? Um, in there. So well, really, the only question I have now, Ray, is how long until we see uh, a bear X terrorist video and somebody saying to check out the affiliate links below, right? Because you know we're trends. It's not gonna. Ha- it's not. No, it's not gonna happen. And you know why it's not gonna happen? Right now, why X terrorist is an agency product that apparently the online vendors don't really have permission to sell. I have not seen it oh. online, and in fi- and in fact, I've been approached by you know various people in the Discord and whatever asking, and on the lawn forum asking me where can I get Exterus? I think I need it, and I tell them, oh, you're going to need to go to a golf vendor, not a turf yeah. vendor, a golf a golf vendor, because nor- normally the only people that applies that apply Exterus. Are the golf guys? Those People that are crazy like you and me, Ray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People so, who have taken then, the bad acid, Ray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I'm just saying that in the summer months, I'd be looking at phosphites or aliet plus. 3336 alternate that with exterior stress guard and Elliot during the summer. And that, that could be your fungicide cover for the summer months. And by the way, at effective rates, you're looking at up to 28 degree days of disease prevention under most conditions. If you're applying preventatively and not reactively, sure. If you're doing it before you have a problem, like how I do, you know, me applying something like that on a 30 day interval means that I don't deal with or explain diseases for a month. I just never see it, you know. And that's like the name of the game is you don't want to see the dead spots, right? You you just want the well, green. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, as good as I was about, you know, staying on top of my consistency with applying my fungicides this year, I, I wasn't, you know, I was still victim to certain dead spots. And uh, I mean, you can see them. I don't know if some of the pictures I sent, john or to jay pink this uh for this year i don't know if i know in my front yard and a little bit my uh 
backyard. There were some dead spots, but those spots that I see now, I remember seeing the similar sp- kind of spots last year, um, and they were covered just fine. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember. It's, I, it's I can't hard remember. to find a bad picture of your lawn. Well, I, 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 uh, that one, this one is, a, it's this, so this is the backyard right now. Um, so closest to the bottom corner or the like middle bottom part of the yard, that's where there's some, uh, it's hard to see because of the shadows. Um, there are some spots there and just these brown spots are, it's kind of heat stress, but I can tell it's, it is some disease there a little bit. Um, so I wasn't, you know, I, I still, I had, I still was, had some disease, but it was nothing like, like it was last year because when we had dollar spot in the neighborhood, I was walking past other people's yards and I could see exactly what I was seeing in my yard last year. Only it was this year. And I was like, all right, I know it's, it's hot and heavy right now. Just like it. And, but I, I wasn't seeing it in my yard because of my, my fungicides were definitely, um, keeping it, it at bay. So yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so I, I was, I was, you know, does this stuff bother me? Sure. But at the same time, like what I'm seeing when I see this now, cause this is, this is how my backyard looks now. Um, I'm not worried about it, even if it is disease right now, because I know we're going into cooler months and the, the lawn's going to recover. And I remember what it, what it did last year when it recovered from those things. Um, you know, I have, I know these spots when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, there might be some disease there, but I know we're coming into cooler temps. We're going to get more rain, hopefully. Um, but just the cooler temps alone, I know will help uh, just the lawn recover. So it's kind of that expectation deal a little bit as well for me. Like, I know it doesn't look the best. Do I, uh, I, I didn't expect to completely keep fungus out of the lawn, uh, this year, but I'm, I'm thrilled and ecstatic for how well I kept it at bay this year compared to last year. Um, like I said, I, I have my struggle. There are, there are some spots that I don't know what disease it was. Cause again, I'm still not good at identifying sometimes when I look at like people say the hourglass lesions, like they all kind of look the same to me. So I, I, I almost need to have like a, a, a person that knows what they're talking about. Like, Hey, let me walk you through a lawn and show you like that. That would help me a lot. I'm a visual guy. So, um, it, it's just a, I know it's just a matter of experience and seeing it year to year and being able to better identify the, the, the disease and those types of things. Um, cause sometimes you hear, we joke about it on tonight, but you hear things on YouTube and people are like, Oh, that's this. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not that disease or, or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of uh, all the, all said and told, like when we're talking about fungicides and, and everything, I've kind of realized, like I have to have expectations, like realistic expectations. Cause I think you can have the best fungicide program, but sometimes you're still going to get maybe some fungus in your lawn and those types of things because nothing's perfect and things happen. So um, I don't know if that's a good good approach or not. However, uh, I I do always say that with lawns and, and, you know, landscapes, it seems that it begins and ends with pH because... I have the feeling that if you didn't start to address your pH, your lawn would be 
under severe stress, regardless of how good your fungicide program was. Sure. Because for me personally, I don't even try unless I know that the soil pH is moving towards optimum because if you don't have that fundamental thing good or near good, it's just going to be harder because I, I look at turf maintenance as you're allowed to have one thing wrong that you can't fix and okay, you can work around it, you can mitigate it, you can deal with it, but when you have to juggle two, three, or four things wrong, I say three strikes are out. And for me, I know you can't control the weather. Uh, so, you know, humidity, heat, uh, high temperature, you know, high temperatures, you know, you have no control over that. But what you do have control over is, for example, your nutrients, your soil pH. Uh, so you have control over that. But if you were to tell me, oh, I'm going to ignore soil pH, I'm going to really wing it or starve it as far as you know nutrients go but this damn propiconazole and azoxystrobin tank mix had better keep my lawn good uh i would stop you right there and say yes and no <laughs> it doesn't sure. work that way sure well i was pretty fortunate to uh with especially during summer when applying my propiconazole I I made sure uh, that those applications were all in the evening. Like it was almost like mm -hmm. a nighttime spray because the sun was practically down every time I was spraying it. And it's funny because my neighbors can tell that I'm that guy that cares way too much about his lawn. But but yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. Yeah, well, I used to be that guy too because. Uh... You know, in another time at home, I dealt I dealt with some now restricted fungicides, Dacanomat, uh, Mancozeb, and Good then one. of course uh, my favorite was what I call the uh, the Chernobyl stuff. <laughs> Haven't been back to those lawns since '86. Yeah, Gentlemen, <laughs> exactly. We're going to have to wrap this up and move on to the show after the show. Now we can continue the conversation there. We have uh, we are at uh, two and a half hours here, so we're going to wind this up. If you are interested in hearing grown men talk about grown men topics, warning: this is not for the faint of heart. Um, if you are sensitive towards bad words, if you're sensitive towards offline content, if you're sensitive towards uh, really, if you're just sensitive in general, it's probably not for you. No problem. No harm, no foul. You don't have to join us 100% okay. However, if you're into that kind of thing, you do have to become either a member. You can either go to patreon.com forward slash burn and return or uh, become a member right here at YouTube. Hit the join button and uh, join the Discord. And then once you join the Discord, you're going to go to a channel called Dirty Deeds and Dirty Deeds will get you in. 
It'll be up for 10 minutes and 10 minutes alone. And after that, it disappears into the ethos forever and ever, never to be seen again. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you on Sunday for the members for the live recording of live recording of burn and return again for the members and Patreons. And otherwise we'll see you next Thursday.